You are listening to a podcast from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries. For more information about our church, please visit us at rmcmchurch.org. All right, we're going to continue talking about, we started this last week, talk about keep moving forward, right? And I'm going to do a little bit of review from last week, but of course you can always find these. You can find podcasts. Uh, we're on YouTube. You can find these teachings in a lot of places. So we talked about the fact that if we look at the pattern, the overall pattern of everything God does, first of all, with us, he's always calling us. I, I say calling us upward. Really by that, I mean deeper, deeper into relationship with him. He's calling us to move into deeper and deeper intimacy and relationship with him. Is everything okay? I just see a lot of activity over here. Uh, and he is also, uh, he is, he's always calling us forward. He's always establishing new things in us and then calling us to live in a greater and greater not only intimacy with him, but everything that flows out of that. Does that make sense? So everything we see about him, our life is supposed to be going from glory to glory, from darkness to light. It, it, there are just so many things. Everything the Lord says there is, there is wherever anything is alive, it's going to grow. It's going to change, right? So it's just a, a constant with God is that he's moving us forward. And on the other side of that, we've found over the years that almost everything the devil tries to do in our life, the lies that he tells us, the, him coming in to try and steal, kill, and destroy in our lives, all, almost every one of those, if you think about it, every one of those things, he'll, he'll bring fear in to immobilize us. Fear will actually, it, what it does is it tells us that we need to reduce our lives to meet it's lies. Fear comes in and says, you're in, you're, you are in real danger if you don't reduce your life because God's not going to take care of you in this or you're going to lose this relationship or you're going to lose this job or whatever it might be. God is fully capable of leading us and motivating us to action without using fear. The Lord just doesn't use fear. He hasn't given us a spirit of fear, right? He, he, he's given us a spirit of power and love and a sound and disciplined mind. And again, this kind of goes back to what I said earlier. What you feed on is going to fill your heart and then you're going to live from it. But that's what fear wants to do. It wants to shrink your life down, shrink your vision down and keep you from from moving forward. It immobilizes us. It freezes us. And, and all of the various um, tactics, you know, discouragement, offense, uh, all of these different things that the devil tries to use, uh, in, in one way or another, they, it, he wants to stop us. He wants to stop you from growing in God and stop you from manifesting more and more of God in your life. So last week, and I'll just go through this as quickly as possible, we looked at these verses in Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, where it says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. So God said something to Joshua about the past, about the whole environment they'd been living in, about where their hope was placed, all of that kind of thing. He said, Moses is dead. Because of that, therefore, 
right? Now, therefore, on this side of the death of Moses, therefore, arise and go over this Jordan River was at flood stage, you and all this people to the land which I am giving them, the children of Israel, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, as I said to Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, and all the land of the Hittites, and to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. So we saw that that word arise means to rise up, that's not a big surprise, to stand up in the face of the impossible. All right, the, the, he says, go over this Jordan. So what he was saying was, don't wait until the flood's gone. It's impossible right now, and I'm calling you to do it. All right? So, so he's, he's saying, rise up, stand up in the face of the impossible. We saw that this word has the idea of to recover. And I just think it's so interesting that here they were, they were, in, they were grieving. The whole nation had stopped and took the appropriate time to grieve the death of Moses. That was not inappropriate. But now, at this moment, God is saying, recover. And he is commanding, think about this with me, he's commanding Joshua to recover. This was, Joshua was Moses' aid. I mean, this was his, his I think mentor is a really weak word for all of this. Uh, he, he, and he, and now the leadership fell on him and he's commanding Joshua to recover. God doesn't command us to do things that his grace is not there to empower us in or that we are unable to do. He does not, and I know a lot of people have this picture of God, that he puts out these impossible commands and then stands back with his arms folded. We'll see if you can do it. And if you can't, you know, who are you? I mean, you know, it's like this, derisive God that a lot of people believe in. And it's, it's not what he, but he did. He commanded Joshua to recover. So Joshua had some say in where his heart went at this moment, just like we have a say in where our hearts go when we are challenged by things. We have a say in that. And yes, God empowers it, but only if we turn our focus on him. If you keep feeding at the wrong trough, you're going to be full of the wrong things, okay? I know some of you don't like the word trough, but I really enjoy it, okay? (laughs) So this word means to move and to continue moving. It means it has the connotation of being hostile. This word arise. So it means I'm going to be aggressive in my choice and my decision to stand up, recover, move, move forward and keep moving forward. I'm going, to be, I'm going to be hostile about, not hostile to God. A lot of times we have to be hostile to the devil. A lot of times we just have to be hostile with us, with our own hearts, our own desires. We cannot allow the devil to keep us immobilized. We can't, we're the church, man. We are the church. We have an assignment in this age. We saw this same word was used in Isaiah 60 verse 1 where it says arise from the depression and prostration in which circumstances have kept you. Rise to a new life. Shine. Be radiant with the glory of God. Be radiant with the glory of the Lord for your light has come and the glory of God has risen on you. 
All right, so he told them to go over this Jordan. Go over means to go beyond, go through or over any obstacle. It describes leaving something behind and moving into a new territory. All right, it, it means, you know, to, to emigrate, to leave something behind. And we made the point that moving, God's not calling us to move just for the sake of moving. He gave them, he said, he said, go over this Jordan into the land which I'm giving them. So there was a purpose. There was a place. They were going to the next stage. And then he actually set limits also. So, so for them, there was a specific place they were supposed to be going. All right, They weren't being called to be all things to all people. We said a lot more about that last week, and you can certainly get that if you weren't here. But let's go on to some other verses this morning. Again, I, I feel like all of these are verses... I come back to frequently, and therefore we come back to frequently, but let's look at them again today. So, so over in Philippians chapter 3, actually, I'm gonna, I think I'm going to back up and read quite a bit more of this than I was able to put up on your screen. Let me get over there. Uh, let's go back and... I'm going to read from the Amplified, and that's not what's up there. I'm going to go all the way back. I'm going to go all the way back, all right, to verse 1. Chapter 2, verse, no, not really, just chapter 3, verse 1. Okay, so so Paul comes along here, and he says, For the rest, my brethren, delight yourselves in the Lord and continue to rejoice that you are in him. That's a good word right there. To keep you, uh, to keep writing to you over and over of the same things is not irksome to me, and it is a precaution for your safety. I'm so glad that verse is there. Uh, verse two: Look out for those dogs, the Judaizers, the legalists. Look out for those mischief makers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we Christians are the true circumcision who worship God in spirit and by the spirit of God and exalt and glory and pride ourselves. Get that? We glory and we pride ourselves in Jesus Christ. And get this, put no confidence or dependence on what we are in the flesh and on outward privileges and physical advantages and external appearances. Everything Paul's about to say comes off of that idea right there. That he was deciding in his life, he was looking at his own life, he was looking at all the outward things, the natural things, his things like his education, things like his position in Judaism. We know that he was being trained up to be a Pharisee and, and more than likely to be part of the Sanhedrin. He'd sat on, under the very best teachers of the day, they approved of him. He had those people's approval. That gave him a, an incredible station in Jewish life. All of those things were what he's calling my outward advantages. Okay, And we all have outward advantages. We all have things that are of value in this world. And he's not saying those are bad. But he's, he is saying, I'm not going to put my confidence or glory in, brag on those things, I'm going to brag on Jesus Christ. And that's where my confidence is going to go. Does that make sense to you? He says, though for myself, I have at least grounds to rely on the flesh. If any other man considers that he has or seems to have reason to rely on the flesh and his physical and outward advantages, I have still more. Quite a statement. 
And he starts to list it. Circumcised when I was eight days old of the race of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew and the son of Hebrews. As to the observance of the law, I was of the party of the Pharisees. As to my zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. And by the law's standard of righteousness, I was proven to be blameless and no fault was found in me. Okay, by that system's uh, idea of rightness with God, they were telling him, you've got it, man. You've, you've, there's no fault. We can't see a single fault in you. That's why we can't ever live by external things because every one of us know there are faults in us and God knows that too. That's why Jesus addressed the heart. Everything that Jesus did address, addressed our identity, our heart, what's going on the inside, and then that produces a new life on the outside. But Paul says, you know, I, I had it made as far as all these outward advantages went in my society. I was right up there. I mean, I was, uh, Christine Kane would say, I, I was all that in a bag of chips, okay? And, and so in uh, verse 7, all right, he says, but whatever former things I had that might have been gains to me, I have considered as one combined loss for Christ. Let's look at a couple of words in this in this verse. Whatever former things I had that might have been gains to me, I have come to consider as one combined loss for Christ's sake. All right? So gains, that means that word gains, whatever I had that would have been gains, that means something that brings a profit, something of value, something that the world would look at and, and see as value, something that you have within you that could increase your wealth, your influence, your position, any of those kinds of things. So for us, education is one of those things. Paul isn't saying any of these things were bad. In fact, there, he uses terminology that shows that these things had value. They were valuable, all right? What he's talking about is how he considers them now, how he thinks about them, what he does with them, okay? So our, our education, maybe the family we grew up in, I mean, there are all kinds of things uh, that we could have, skills that we have, that we put to work in the earth. That's encouraged in the Bible. But we are to consider them in comparison to Christ and who he is in our life, we are to consider them in a certain context. So, so he says, I have come to consider. The King James Version there says, I count. It, that word means to purposefully lead a thought or an attitude before your mind. All right? I am purposefully thinking about all my natural advantages in a certain context. I am leading those, I am leading those things before my mind. They are not in charge. They are not running how I view myself or view God or view other people. My education is not running that. My, uh, my wealth is not running that. My influence in the community, my position... None of those things are running how I view me or God or people around me. I am leading those things to a specific place before my mind. And he says, I count them as loss. 
And that word loss means um, something that would actually be a detriment to his pursuit of Christ. Something that could trip him up if he doesn't keep it in the right priority. It, it means it's used in Acts 27 of the loss of a ship and cargo compared to the saving of the lives that were on that ship. The ship was valuable. The cargo was valuable. Nobody said it wasn't. But when it came down to we either lose our lives or we lose the stuff, the stuff got thrown overboard. Okay? That's, that's how he's telling us to consider all of these natural advantages. I want to remind you right here too, so I don't forget later. Um, Paul used his education and his knowledge of the scriptures in, in presenting the gospel. Paul had this tremendous, he, he didn't throw it out in the sense that I'll, I'll never think about what I learned. I won't use my education. He, he also used his Roman citizenship at one point. They were about to beat him for the who knows how many a time. And, and he said, hey, is this how you treat citizens? And they were like, oops, we're not supposed to. We didn't know you were a citizen. He had that. It was an advantage for him. But he kept it in. He's talking about perspective. He's talking about priority. He's talking about how he approached all of that. And he led those things before his mind, and I doubt this was just once, to consider them in comparison to Christ. To consider, as I consider those as something, it could be a detriment. It's only worthy to be thrown overboard if necessary and for Christ's sake. Does that make sense to you? This is a, this is a powerful package. So he's, package, passage, uh, that was close. There were a lot of letters in there that were right. He's looking at his life and the things that he had held valuable and things that the world held valuable. And he, he sees them in comparison to his progressively growing relationship with Christ. And he puts them in this category. In verse 8, it says, what's more, okay, so he goes on, what is more, I consider everything a loss. Okay, so now he's expanded from just his advantages to all the worldly stuff, something somebody else has, whatever it is, I consider, I, I take all of it, all of this natural stuff, and I consider it as something to be thrown overboard compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And that word knowing is a progressive intimacy. It is like, it is not just learning the facts about Jesus or the facts about the Bible or the facts about the gospel. It, is, it speaks of a progressively deeper intimacy. And so he says, you know what? Nothing is more, there's nothing on this earth that is more important than that. And I'm leading that before my mind, okay? For whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ. That word rubbish means trash. It means refuse. It means dung. It means anything that you would throw away. Everything from uh, the coffee grounds to what's left in the litter box to anything that you would throw away, that's in this word. He says, this is how I 
count them. This is how I assess all of this stuff. I put it in this category. And again, he wasn't saying it has no value. This is a whole, this is all a comparative statement. Compared to knowing Christ, none of that stuff is worth anything. And if there's any part of it I need to throw away that would be a detriment to my walk with Christ, I'll do it. Does that make sense to you? And so he's mentally, it's like he's organizing his priorities uh, around what has eternal value and what only has natural value. What what in my life, you know, this relationship with Jesus, that's eternal. All right, and and in making this decision, he's setting the course of his life. This sets the direction of his and the, honestly, the possibility of his moving forward in this relationship with Christ because he's choosing not to let things in, even good things. I mean, he's not even addressing sin and all of those obviously negative things. He's addressing the good stuff that can really trip us up. All right, in verse 12, he says, uh, and this is from the NIV. Maybe I'll go down here. Yeah, I have to read this from the Amplified. It's, it's just so good. Uh, in fact, I'll go back to verse 10. He says, for my determined purpose, I just love that, my determined purpose is that I may know him. Again, it's that progressive intimacy. That I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, perceiving and recognizing and understanding the wonders of his person more strongly and clearly, and that I may in that same way come to know the power outflowing from his resurrection, that I may so share in his sufferings as to be continually transformed in spirit into his likeness, even to his death, in the hope that if possible, I may attain to the spiritual and moral resurrection that lifts me out from among the dead, even while in the body. And in verse 12, he says, not that I have now attained this ideal, okay, he's saying I'm not there yet, or have I already been made perfect, but I press on to lay hold of, to grasp and make my own, that for which Christ Jesus the Messiah laid hold of me and made me his own. I do not consider, brethren, that I have captured and made it my own yet, but one thing I do, this is so important, one thing I do, it is my one aspiration, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the supreme and heavenly prize to which God in Christ Jesus is calling me heavenward. So again, let's pick a, pick this apart a little bit. And and I know we just we just covered this a few weeks ago, but I want to go into a little more detail. He says, I press on. Okay, I press on. That means to pursue something, to chase it down with a a singular focus. Okay, so you are you are in pursuit. It means to run hard after something. You have a singular focus. It's on your radar. It's what you're going after. It is a single prized treasure and you are going to exert all your energy to get it. That's what this word press on means. And we have to realize that our life, the Christian life, is not lived on these parallel tracks. You know, we we are we're Christians, we have our 
spiritual life, okay? We have our work life. We have our family life. We have our friendships. We have our, our role in the community. And, and they all kind of run parallel. It's not like that. We have one single focus. And that is knowing Jesus Christ. Growing in intimacy with Jesus Christ. And pursuing our relationship with him. All those other things grow out of, you know, your family life needs to be an outgrowth of that one single purpose. Your work life needs to be an outgrowth of that purpose. Your friendships, your relationships, everything we are, what we are in the community, your online presence needs to be an outgrowth of that one pursuit. We're not pursuing 15 different things in life. But the one thing we're pursuing is, is alive and feeds life into everything else we are and everything else we do. And honestly, everything else we are and everything else we do will not have the life of God unless we take this attitude, unless we consider all those things as loss. All right. If we allow distractions, if we allow, there are some really serious things going on in our nation right now. This could be a tremendous turning point in our nation. There's no doubt about it. That is a reality, all right? But if we allow that to distract us from this pursuit of God, we're going to miss God's purpose for us in this hour. And he has one. I mean, we just got done talking about that in church. We got done talking about finding God's will for your life. We're talking about it in men's group. You know, if we allow temporal things, things that will pass away, to distract us from the pursuit of the eternal, okay, then we're not going to have any effect for God's kingdom. And so it's, this is not, what I'm suggesting is not putting our heads in the sand and pretending, not, I, think, I think we've made this clear today, pretending none of that is going on. No, it's a reality and we have a role in it. We will only fulfill that role if we put it in the right place, okay? We've, oh boy, there's a lot I could say about that. I'll make this statement to you and we'll move on. And this is something I posted yesterday online. The devil doesn't care if you're right. The devil doesn't mind you being right at all. He doesn't mind you having the right values. He doesn't mind you being right as long as he can get you to use that rightness in an ungodly way. As long as he can get you to use your rightness in a way that promotes his kingdom instead of God's, that does not represent Christ in your interactions, then he doesn't care. He doesn't care if you have the right political position. He doesn't care. It's all... It's all good with him as long as he can get you to undermine the kingdom of God with it. And I've got people right now on both sides of the aisle hitting me with their stuff that doesn't line up with God's heart at all. And it's, that's not good. You know, I was thinking about this this morning, and I don't want to spend a bunch of time on politics, but I remember when, when uh, Bill Clinton was inaugurated whole section of the church thought the world had come to the end, uh, an end and a whole section of the church rejoiced, okay? When uh, George Bush got into office, uh, the one over here got, uh, oh, everything was okay again and the other side thought the world had come to an end. When Barack Obama was inaugurated, 
the world has come to an end as we know it. And the other group, this is our savior. Same thing when Donald Trump got into I mean, we see it over. Does that sound like the church of Jesus Christ to you? Does that sound like the heart of God? I'm not saying there aren't realities. I'm not saying there isn't decline in, in areas in our society. I'm not saying any of that. I'm saying, does that sound like the church of Jesus Christ to be so swayed? That's an American thing. If Justin were here, he could talk to us about, because he's, he's all over, the, he was, and he will be again, all over the world in these different places that have been locked down for generations. And the church is flourishing in those places. And, you know, the Holy Spirit is just bigger than all this stuff. So we've got to, we've got to lead those thoughts before, take them captive, make them obedient to Christ. And again, God, I just think it's such a great, and that's a, it's somewhere near something I heard Bill Johnson say a long time ago was, you know, the devil doesn't mind you being right at all, as long as he can use it to get you to do unchristlike things. Okay. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13. It says, all, this is from the Amplified, all has been heard the end of the man, and you remember that whole book is about trying this and that that's going on in the world and seeing if there's life in it. It says, all has been heard. The end of the matter is fear God, revere and worship him, knowing that he is, and keep his commandments, for this is the whole of man, the full original purpose of his creation the object of God's providence, the root of character, the foundation of all happiness, the adjustment to all inharmonious circumstances and conditions under the sun, and the whole duty for every man is revere and worship him. That's what we're called to. That's what, you know, that, that is why we were created. That was certainly why we have come uh, into Christ and, and what our role is. So let's, let's read this verse again. Just a couple more things to give to you and we'll be done. So again, he said here, you know, I press on, right? I'm, I'm chasing this thing down. I'm, I'm exerting all my energy to chase this thing down so that I can take hold. That's a, it's a compound Greek word that means it, the first part of it means it's, it's a picture of a sudden downward motion. It's like, I'm chasing this down so I can pounce on it, okay? That's the idea is I'm going to pounce on this relationship with Christ and knowing him. I'm going to pounce on that. The rest of the word means to take personal possession of, to apprehend, to make something your prisoner. So Paul's saying, I'm pressing on to, to pounce upon and take hold of and take personal possession of what Christ took hold of me for the reason for which Christ pounced upon me and took hold of me. That's what I am chasing down and pouncing upon. And it's like, it's, it's, he's saying, I'm exerting all my strength, the thing to the purpose that God called for me. I'm taking, I'm going to take full possession of this he knows Christ died on the cross and rose from the dead. And he has a purpose. He has a reason. He has a plan for me. And in order to fulfill that purpose, I have to act this way. I can't just sit around and believe that, well, if, if God wants it to happen in my life, it'll just happen. 
God could have done that, but he didn't. Clear back in the Old Testament, he told Joshua, wake up, recover, stand up, and go forward into, across this impossible situation and lead these people with you. In the New Testament, we are called to apprehend God's purpose for our life. There is no passive Christianity. All our trust is in God to make it happen. We're not talking about works, but there's no such thing as sidelined, sitting in the stands, Christianity waiting for all of it to get done. I don't know where people get that. I mean, they're not reading the same Bible. Uh, so, So then he says, one thing am I doing, right? One thing. And he says, forgetting what's behind and straining forward to what's ahead. He, just, he says that's one singular activity. If you're not going to let go of what's trying to hold you back, you're not going to be able to pursue what God has. It's one activity. They are joined together. And so this is something we've got to pray about. We've got to think about. We've got to know what the Spirit of God is saying to us. There are specific thought patterns for every one of us that want to anchor us in our past. And that's what I want to talk about next week. There are certain, there are immobilizers. The devil has immobilizer systems. And if we continue to live in things like regret and shame and all these different fear, all these different things, if we will not let God free us from those things, then we're not going to move forward. We're going to stay in place. And you know what? God will still love you and you'll still go to heaven. But you will miss so much in this earth. We look at times like this, it's like, man, you know, when COVID hit, we said, what an opportunity to be Christians. What an opportunity to bring hope and life to people. Here again, just double down for 2021. What the opportunities are everywhere. When we come across somebody who's in fear, we have an opportunity to release peace for them. We come across somebody who's discouraged. We've got hope living on the inside of us. If you don't, I don't mean this mean, but you're feeding at the wrong trough. Just switch troughs. And the the Lord will fix that on the inside, but we've got to feed on him. We've got to keep our eyes on him. And then we have so much to bring to people. We have opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to not become discouraged and to stand up and and to reach our world. So did you get anything out of that? All right, this is one of those where I could go on another two hours, but I'm... (laughs) Stopping, okay. All right, let's just pray together. Why don't you go ahead and stand up with me this morning? Let's just pray together. Father, Lord, we are your people. And I know the people that are in this room, there's so many places they could be this morning, so many things they could be doing. You've blessed us with living in this wonderful valley, and there are so many things we could be doing. And there, there are other things just that are important in life that we could be doing, but, but they're here. They made this decision. We're here. And so, Father, Lord, we are here because we love you and honor you above all other things. And Father, where anything has become a distraction or where anything, it's just taken too much room in our hearts or, or where, where there's something, Father, that we need to just set down and leave behind. We are asking for the, the power of the Holy Spirit to work within us, the grace of God, Lord, to lift us out of that. 
If we don't see it, then open our eyes to it, Lord. We trust in your leading. We trust you, Father, to continue to to change us and move us forward in our walk with Jesus Christ. We trust you for it. You're so good at it. You are just awesome, Lord. And, And so, fathers, we go out of this place today. We go out into a hurting world. We go out, Father, whether we're, whether we're encountering people uh, in person or whether we're encountering groups online, whatever we're doing, Father, we choose to feed life into every one of those situations. We choose life and we choose to release life. Father, help us. Holy Spirit, just, just get on us when we need it to not be a part of the problem. Lord, and and sort some of these things for us. Holy Spirit, just help us. Just sort some of these things for us that are very important and we have to give attention to, but not to let them dominate our hearts. And so, Father, we give all that to you. Lord, we ask for your instruction. We ask for your correction on a daily basis in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. We're going to say this on the count of three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin of the world. You guys go out there and Be the church everywhere you go, every interaction, all right? Have a great time in your fasting and prayer this week, and we'll see you next Sunday, all right? One, two, three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries in Gunnison, Colorado. We hope you will visit us at rmcmchurch.org, like our Facebook page, or subscribe to our messages on YouTube.